a pastor had dinner at the home of a couple in his church. After he left, the wife said to her husband, I think he stole our spoon. And this bothered her for a whole year. A year later, the couple had the pastor for dinner again. Unable to resist, the wife asked, Did you steal our spoon last year? The pastor replied, No, ma'am. I put it inside your Bible. <laughs> there are some amazing, incredible stories in Scripture that we have the uh, opportunity to take and read. One of those amazed, the most amazing stories in all of Scripture is found in 1 Kings chapter 18 where Elijah meets the 450 prophets of Baal. He by himself meets King Ahab's prophets and they have a contest there. And Elijah proves that God is the all-powerful and the only God and that anyone other than him is false and that there's no hope found in anyone except for God. It, is the, it was one of the most incredible, most vivid stories in all of Scripture. But to get there, Elijah had to be somewhere else first. And we find that story in 1 Kings chapter 17 as we find Elijah going to a brook called Cherif and meeting and waiting on God there for His provision. Our title today is God Provides for a Prophet and God Provides for His People. Um, we've all been in a place where we needed the provision of God and this story tells us dramatically in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17 about God's provision for His great prophet Elijah. Now, after Moses and Joshua, uh, God used a system of judges to lead the nation of Israel. And after a couple of generations, the people demanded a king like the nation surrounding them. And we know about two great kings there early on. King David, who amassed a great wealth and fortune, and who amassed this great wealth and fortune for the one sole purpose of giving it to his son Solomon, who would be allowed to build the temple where God would dwell among His people. But later on, after them, the kings become corrupt and the nation of Israel drifts farther and farther from the covenant that God has established with them. The nation is divided into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, and is overran and conquered on different occasions. During this time, God raises up bold prophets, men like Elijah and Daniel and Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah. And... Elijah here, in just the next chapter, is going to call down fire from heaven. But it's here by the brook of Cherith that he learns his greatest lesson in life, that he is totally dependent upon God. And we're going to read through these scriptures systematically here this morning as we look at each point. And first of all, we look at God's plan here for his prophet Elijah. In the first three verses it says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, Ahab is the king of Israel, is the king at this time, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith which is east of the Jordan. Now the key word here in these first three verses is found in verse number 3, and that word is hide. 
Now this word hide did not mean for Elijah to go and hide in fear or to go and to make himself scarce because of what he feared that King Ahab and his wife Jezebel would do to him. The word hide here means that he was to go and hide himself there in the Lord. He was instructed to make himself absent, to get along with God, and to be able to take in so that later he would be able to give out to the nation and to the contest that he would be a part of there on Mount Carmel. Now, this is really God's plan for all of His children. His plan for all of us is to pull away, to get along with Him, and take in from Him in order that we're to give out to others. We're to find a place of solitude in this life. Secretary of State George Shultz was the Secretary of State back in the 1980s in the Reagan administration. And he had what he called a Shultz hour. He would go in his office and he would take a, a notepad and an ink pen and he would instruct his secretary with these words. Do not interrupt me unless it is one of two people, my wife or the president. And he would take, and in that hour, he would write his thoughts and his memories and everything that he wanted to put down that he was so busy at other times that he couldn't. And he found that this hour made him more productive in the other hours of the day because he was uninterrupted during this time. He turned 96 this year, and he said that it was that hour of solitude was the only way he could find time to think about the strategic aspects of his jobs. Otherwise, he would be constantly pulled into moment-to-moment -moment tactical issues, never able to focus on larger questions. How does that sound like us today? I woke up this morning, I slept all, morning, I slept all night with a supercomputer laying beside my, on my nightstand, that dings all night long, and that it, with all kind of information, with people wanting me to see the latest picture or to read the latest news article, and I get up, and the first thing that I do in the morning sometimes is look at it, and we brag about how busy we are. We, we brag about how much we can do, even in our busyness. But God wants to take us sometimes and pull us away from all those things and just get along with us, as he does Elijah here by this brook at Cherif. Jesus models this consistently. He's always moving away from the noise and being alone with the Father. My favorite saying about Jesus is this, that Jesus prayed more than he preached. Elijah has made a bold proclamation here in verse number 1. He says there's not going to be any dew, there's not going to be any rain these years, except by my word. Now, Ahab has been influenced by his wife, whose name is Jezebel. Jezebel is a Canaanite. She comes from another land. The nation of Israel had been instructed not to marry into the lands that were around them because of the false gods that they worship. Ahab marries Jezebel, and in today's term, in a presidential debate, she would be termed a nasty woman, just to say the least. She's very mean. She will have you killed at the drop of the hat for disagreeing with her. Now, she introduces the worship of Baal, B-A-A-L, to the nation of Israel. And Baal is supposed to control dew and rain. Baal is supposed to be the God that brings rain, the rainy season, 
and brings the dew in the morning. So when Elijah tells them, I'm not, God is not going to allow it to rain and He's not going to let there be any dew, she is livid and she's angry. And God now here is preparing Elijah at Cherif for his showdown at Carmel against Ahab and the 450 prophets. There's a great parallel here with Elijah having to go and be in solitude and having to suffer during this time. There's a great parallel with him and Acts in the life of Paul. We see in verse number 15 and 16 of chapter 9 that God says to Ananias, Paul is my chosen vessel and he is going to have to come to you and learn that he's going to have to suffer many things. Elijah confronts the sin of the king and his wife the same way that Paul would confront the sin of the Roman society around him. And they both suffer rejection and more and more persecution. Now, in our own context, we know from Paul's writing in Timothy, in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, Paul says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul says that there's no reason for us not to expect, if we take a stand in this generation, not to expect to be persecuted and rejected. There's a spiritual principle here that says this, when we are faithful in following the Lord Jesus Christ in a decadent world, we should anticipate rejection and persecution. God's plan is being played out here in Elijah's life, and we see it now come to a promise in verse number 4. He says, You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. The key word here is there. God has one spot for Elijah to go to. It's not multiple choice. It's not left up to Elijah. God has one specific spot where He wants Elijah to be where He can speak to him. And God has promised to meet Elijah there at the brook Cherith. Elijah received a promise from God, but here, listen to this, it's restricted and conditional. It is an important, it, it is an important thing being where God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. Does God ever give you an instruction about where to be and what to do and you try to redirect God? Have you ever showed God a better plan than what He had for you? God gives you a specific thing to do and you begin to try to change the geography on God and you try to, try to change God's mind? Timothy Keller tells a story about his prayer life um, and praying for a certain girl. He says that he was reflecting on the passage, don't be anxious, but make requests to God with thanksgiving. He says we would expect Paul to say, first you make your request to God and then thank Him for the answers. But that is not what Paul says. Keller then illustrates his point with a story from his early 20s. He says, I prayed for an entire year about a girl I was dating and wanted to marry. But she wanted out of the relationship. All year I prayed, Lord, don't let her break up with me. Of course, in hindsight, it was the wrong girl. I actually did what I could to help God with the prayer. Because one summer, near the end of the relationship, I got in a location that made it easier to see her. 
I was saying, Lord, I am making this as easy as possible for you. I have asked you for this, and I have even taken the geographical distance away. But as I look back, God was saying, Son, when a child of mine makes a request, I always give that person what he or she would have asked for if they knew everything I know. Don't try to change God's direction when He tells you where to be. In Jesus' prayer, His high prayer there in John 17, 24 and 26, as He thanks God for giving us, giving the disciples to Him, and then for those of us in the future who would be His, He tells God that before the foundation of the world, you gave me my instructions. You see, Jesus was exactly where He should be, doing exactly what God the Father would have Him do for humanity, and we are blessed this morning as a result. I look at our own lives, and I think about Psalm 139, verse 13 and 14 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it well. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knitted us together and made us who we are and gave us our purpose and direction in life. And when we are there, David says our souls know it well. Have you ever known the contentment of being right where it is where God wants you to be and being in the center of God's will for your life? There's no greater contentment in this world than to know that. Elijah knows that if he goes anywhere other than this brook where God has told him to meet him, that he won't be able to know the promise of God. And then in verse number 5, we see God's prerequisite. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherif that is east of the Jordan. Elijah went and did what God told him to do. He was obedient. And he was, and, and it's still the key. He was obedient. Notice his response here. We don't see any doubt. We don't see any defiance. We don't see him delaying. He immediately is obedient. And he knew that this is God's required prerequisite to blessing him. We all should be obedient knowing that we are in God's hands being used as his instrument. A man who converted from Islam to Christianity wrote these words in a prayer to God. He said, Oh God, I am Mustafa the tailor, and I work at the shop of Muhammad. The whole day long I sit and pull the needle and the thread through the cloth. Oh God, you are the needle and I am the thread. I am attached to you and I follow you. When the thread tries to slip away from the needle, it becomes tangled and must be cut so it can be put back in the right place. Oh God, help me to follow you wherever you lead me, for I am really only Mustafa the tailor, and I work in the shop of Muhammad on the great square. We're the needle, that we're the thread that God is putting through the needle. John 15, 5, Jesus described us this way. He says, For I am the vine, and you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, it is he that beareth much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying that I want our relationship to be 
like that vine and that branch, I want us to be grafted together so that what is flowing through me is flowing into you so that you are bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. Uh, in Luke twenty-two forty-two, Jesus shows us the greatest example of obedience as He prays there in the Garden of Gethsemane as He says, Father, if You are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will but Yours be done. Jesus, knowing the cup that He's about to bear, says, my, not my will, I set my will aside for yours, God, because I know what is best. Now, nobody's going to volunteer to do what Elijah did. Nobody is going to raise up their hand and say, hey, God, here's what I want to do today. I want to go into the court of, of Ahab and Jezebel because they're the most evil people on the whole face of the earth. They hate you and they hate your people. And I want to go represent your people and I want to tell them, hey, I'm telling you from the God that you despise that He's not going to allow it to rain and He's not going to let any dew come up and everybody's going to be real thirsty and y'all just got to deal with it. Good day. See y'all. Nobody wanted to volunteer to do that. The great, one of the great miracles here is that Elijah was spared and was allowed to get out of the court alive. And nobody's going to raise their hand and say, hey God, I'll do that. Hey, I'll go one step further. I'll go and live out in this real dry land out east of the Jordan. There's this little brook there, little stream running through. And I'll sit there all day with nothing to do and wait on the birds of the air to come and bring me some meat and some bread. And then I'll wash it down with some, some, some water from the brook. Anybody volunteering this morning? But Elijah did. Elijah was completely obedient. When God chose him, he knew that God's perfect will was what he wanted, and so he went and did. Listen, this morning, where is God asking you to be obedient? What is God asking you to be obedient about? Elijah was obedient. And he would change the course and the direction of a nation because of his obedience. Be obedient and maybe you change the course and direction of your family, of your home, of a, of a job. Be obedient. Then in verse 6 we see God's provision. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. After getting along with God, being in His will, and moving in obedience, then and only then did Elijah see the released provision of God upon him. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and evening, and he drank from the cool brook. He's weary. He's tired. He's in a desolate place. It's a great reminder of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, after Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And he's been tempted by the devil three times at the end of that. And in verse number 11, it says that the angels came and ministered to Jesus. They refreshed him. These ravens are a great picture of those angels that came and ministered to Jesus as they brought refreshment to Elijah. Has God ever brought refreshment to your life? You ever been in a really bad place? 
And only God can bring you refreshment. Jesus told us to, to pray, and He said, give us this day our daily bread. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about today and being taken care of today. I can remember when we first got married. When Bree and I first got married, and I've told y'all not long ago, we were probably, God paired the two most spoiled people in the world together. And neither one of us knew anything about um, paying bills or, or managing money, those type of things. We just got married and, and we kept on doing what we did when we were dating. We went to uh, the little Mexican restaurant down on Quintard at least twice a week. And we, you know, we just living it up, having a good time. And then there was this month where all these bills came. And I looked at all these bills and I thought, where's Daddy? <laughs> he was supposed to be in his name. And I can remember there we started trying to figure that out and started trying to figure out how to manage and, and all those things. And sometimes it looked like it just wasn't going to happen. And then there would be a phone call. And some little church somewhere would call me and they'd say, hey, we need somebody to fill our pulpit for the next couple of weeks. Can you do that? And I'd say, yeah. I'd immediately just say, yeah, I'll do that. And what I come to find was, was there in those little churches, as I would walk in the door, there'd be this appointed deacon. And that appointed deacon would hand me, he would give me this handshake. And in his, in his hand, there would be money. And he would hand me that money. And sometimes he would tell me what time they expected to be out of service when he handed me the money. That was actually my grandfather. <laughs> but what I began to notice was, was that God began to provide through my obedience. He began, began to provide everything we needed. Those weeks when I would look and think, well, this, this check's not going to cover and make it to the end of the month, and that phone would ring, and there'd be this little church, or this little, and sometimes I'd be there for a month or six weeks or so, and God would just provide. Because we were obedient, He began to provide. And I began during that time to know and understand and to be able to completely trust God and know that I was dependent upon Him in everything that I do. So God had a provision for Elijah. And then we see God's purpose in verse number 7. We finish up like this. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. You see, Elijah declared there's not going to be any rain or any dew. That didn't, that didn't exempt Elijah from that. Elijah was still in the land. And he was not exempt from, from his brook drying up. Now some people would read this and say, some God that is, Elijah was where God told him to be, doing what God told him to do, and the brook dried up. Could it be that Elijah's heart was being tested to see if his trust was in the brook or the living God. You see, it's easy to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, when you're healthy. It's easy to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, when your bank account is full. And you have good friends. And you have everything that you need. But what about when the doctor walks into the room and uses the word terminal? Or gives you a bad diagnosis? Or what about the day that the boss comes in and you lose your job and you lose your income. 
What about when your friends and family abandon you or betray you? It is then when it is most important to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is in control. The Lord is sovereign and I will trust the Lord. And that's exactly what Elijah does here. He continues, even as he's watching the brook begin to dry up and he's having to go to puddles and get down in puddles and begin to pull water up to his face. He doesn't know where his supply is going to come from, but he knows that it's going to come. Because he's trusted God up until this point, and he knows that God is going to continue to provide for him because he has a purpose for him. Now, many people are called to sit by drying brooks. Some of you in your life have been called to sit by a drying brook sometime. Some of you will be called to sit there someday. It may be a drying brook of health or resources or relationships. Well, let me tell you, it, it, it's easier. Elijah had a much easier time facing those 450 prophets of Baal in the next chapter because he had been there by the brook watching it dry up and trusting God for everything. Because we see that as it dries up, God just leads him on to higher ground. Note the next two verses, verse 8 and 9. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. This resource dried up, but I have another resource for you in another place. Now do you think that Elijah for one minute said, I'm okay right here, dear God. There's a little bit of shade left. I'll just stay here. Maybe, maybe you could do something here. No, he had trusted God and he knew to obey God. And so he gets up and moves and he goes where God's provision is. I don't know where your cherith is, but I know that God will lead you in whatever situation you're in. It may be your health, your finances, your, your job. It may be your family. It may be your emotions. It may be multiple things. It may be a calling that God has placed on your life and you're struggling with that. But I can guarantee you, no matter where you are, God will lead you and He will put you where you need to be if you're only obedient. And follow Him. Now, let me tell you, in the last couple of weeks, as I stand at the door and as I go home, uh, some of you tell me here and some of you send me messages or somebody, some of you have come by the church and you said, man, these last two weeks you've really just preached right to me and that sermon was just designed for me. That sermon was all for me. And I, I always think, well, God preached that to me first. Um, so, you know, if I offended you, know that God offended me first. But I know, I, I told Micah earlier this week, I said, I have a sermon prepared and I, I'll give it to you in a little while. I've kept reading that sermon and I just, I said, it's not for this Sunday. And I began to look and I began to, and God led me to this story. And as I began to, to read and I began to, to study and look, God was preaching this to me. 
And I don't know where my cherith is about is going to be. I don't know what God is, is doing in my heart and in my life, but I know that He's telling me, trust me. Follow me. I've not let you down. I have been there with you in the darkest hours, and no matter what's been going on, I've been with you. I'm going to keep being with you. Let's just keep going together. And this morning, I just want to uh, tell you that um, in the midst of reading this and then thinking about it, I've, I've, I just about had a panic attack. Thinking about, you know, what was, what, you know. But then, you know, I calm down and I think, I go back and look and I say, you know, God took me here. God, God, God provided for us. And God, then we went through this and God provided. And, and in these last three and a half years or so, God has been so good to us and, and provided so for us and just in given us emotional strength to get to where we can get up every day and go forward. And I know that tomorrow morning, no matter what Monday morning brings, I know that just like Elijah, I need to know that God has a provision and a purpose and a plan. And I need to know that, that I'm a part of that and that there's wonderful things for being a part of that. And I want you to know this morning that God has all those things for you. Some of you are struggling with issues. Some of you are struggling with things in life. I want you to know that God has provision for you. Some of you are here this morning there's an empty hole in your soul and you've tried to fill it up with every single thing you know how. And the Holy Spirit right now is pointing you to Jesus and saying this is the only way to fill that vacuum in your life. I had the wonderful opportunity this morning in between Sunday school and worship service to lead somebody to Jesus. You'll get to meet them here in a minute. And I have never known another soul to be so excited about coming to know Jesus. A young man, and as we're talking about sin, and we're talking about forgiveness, and we're talking, he says, he said, he looked at me and he said, just he said, just because I become a Christian doesn't mean that I won't ever mess up again. And I said, that's right. I said, but what are you? And he said, I'm forgiven. I said, Amen. There's forgiveness. There's healing. There's restoration. There's reconciliation. All these things are found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. As Mike is coming this morning to lead us, I want to offer you this opportunity to come and to know Christ as your Savior. Myself and Seth and Donna will be here. We would love nothing more than to take Scripture and show you how you can know Christ and have eternal life. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you know that God has been speaking with you about baptism or about church membership. You know this is where you're supposed to be. Make those decisions. Maybe you just want to come and pray about where God is leading you and moving you. Use this time wisely. Father, as we stand we give honor and glory to You. And we look to You for everything. We ask for Your provision for our life. We ask for You to be our hope and strength. Lead us, God, to the place that You have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.